Hi everyone, welcome to LEAD. My name is Rob and I'm excited to share our last installment of our vision series titled Don't Get Distracted. Last week, Sheena encouraged us with a message titled Keep the Vision, speaking about Habakkuk 2.2 where it says to write the vision and make it plain so that they can run with it. This week, we are going to dive into 2 Timothy 2.4 as our theme text. I'm going to read it to you out of the Passion Translation. For every soldier called to active duty must divorce himself from the distractions of this world so that he may fully satisfy the one who chose him. As we begin to break down this scripture, I'm going to start off with every soldier. Every soldier here is speaking about you and me, so it's speaking about us. As we choose to accept Jesus and begin a life in a relationship with him, following after him every day. We see that our life isn't meant to be something that's passive. And that's why it says that we are called to active duty. The Christian life is not a passive life. It's not a life where we are relegated to sit on the sidelines or take part in a spectator sport. No, it's, it's a life that's meant to be lived hands-on, fully present, active in the moment. In this life, we've, we've been empowered by Jesus' work on the cross to live, to live on offense. You know, we, we are called to live offensively, um, to go after the things of God, to extend the kingdom of God. And um, we see in the Gospels, um, when Jesus went and preached, he would preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, we know that the kingdom, um, the kingdom of God, the word kingdom, comes from um, two words, king's domain. And so what Jesus was saying was that his heavenly realm, his kingdom, was fully present at that time. And we likewise are called to extend his kingdom to this earth. On um, the next part of this scripture where it says to divorce. Um, to divorce means to completely separate or to eliminate associ association to something. So what this, what this isn't saying is it's not saying that we are going to divorce ourselves from the world because we are going to be completely separate from the world and, and forsake the people of the world. No, that, that's the complete opposite. Um, we are going to divorce ourselves from the distractions of this world, the things that would um, preoccupy our thoughts, preoccupy our minds um, from being people about the Father's business, being about um, the kingdom of God and, and um, living fully present and fully aware of what he's called us to and following after him. And then the next part of this, to fully satisfy the one who chose him. I think that's huge. I think it's huge to understand and acknowledge the fact that we have been chosen by God. You've been chosen. I've been chosen. We collectively have, have been chosen for such a time as this. And we need to live our lives in a way where we are looking to bring him glory and honor so that we fully satisfy um, the one who's chose us, you know, so that Jesus gets his full reward. Going hand in hand with that, um, to fully satisfy God, we know that the scriptures say without faith it is impossible, it's impossible to please God. So we have to have faith, and that's going to require doing some things that may not seem always 100% logical. Um, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, 
We have to be willing to know the nature of God, have that relationship with Jesus, um, know what his word says, and be willing to step out and do the things he's called us to do. So our message this week is focused on not getting distracted. So don't get distracted um, in the year 2020 and beyond. Um, So we we are going to talk about distractions. And I think that if I if I took a poll, I think I I could guess some of the heavy hitters or maybe the most frequent ones that I would expect to hear. I would expect to hear a lot of people talk about um, money, material possessions, um, the opinions of people, um, social media, um, people's perceptions of what they're doing, which kind of just goes hands in hand um, with people's opinions. But I wanted to kind of take three different things that I didn't think would be on people's radar or at least wouldn't be the first thing that would come to their mind. And the three that I chose were comparison, self-doubt, and shame. The reason that I chose these three is I believe these are three of the more subtle distractions that may be some of the root cause of some of the more obvious ones. And what those three do, or at least what I believe they do, is it causes us to create a present without us in it. So we actually, when we participate in comparison, self-doubt, and shame, what we actually are doing is we are choosing to create the present day without us in it. So we're not actively pursuing the things that we're called to. Rather, we are distracted by comparison, self-doubt, and shame. So the first one of those three that I'm going to talk about is comparison. We, we live in an age of it is so easy to compare ourselves to everyone else. Um, we, have, we have the blessing and you know, some might even say the curse of the amount of technology that, that we have that allows us to so easily look into the lives of other people. And what that does is it allows us to fall into the comparison game. And maybe you've realized it, maybe you don't. But when you go out on social media, what what you're actually seeing is everyone else's highlight reel. And then we start comparing everyone else's highlight reel to our daily lives. And it's very easy to get discouraged when you start looking around and saying, wow, look how perfect everyone else's lives are. It would kind of be like, Me going out and playing basketball and then watching a highlight reel of LeBron James and taking a serious analytical approach and saying, wow, I'm really not that good at basketball. Look how great LeBron James is and look how terrible I am. I'm sitting here trying to throw a ball in the hoop. LeBron James, well, that goes without saying. The point is, is we can't allow the perceptions that people put out on social media to become the things that we compare our own lives to. We're not called to compare ourselves to others and especially not to the perception or the persona that someone displays online. We're only supposed to be concerned with lining ourselves up to God's word and living to the standard of God's word.
On the other hand, maybe you really are going through a hard time. And you're looking at social media and it's just making you feel worse. You don't want to allow yourself to fall into a trap of comparing yourself to others that pulls you out of the present. Rather, we, what we need to do is we need to come back to Scripture. We need to come back to the presence of God. And we know that in Psalm 46.1, it says, God is our refuge in strength, a very present help in trouble. God is our safe place. He is our strength. And he's able to help us get through any challenges that want to pull us away from him. So comparison causes us to, to beat ourselves up so that we don't show up. So that we don't show up every day to be impactful in the lives of the people around us. To fulfill the call of God in our lives. So we want to make sure that we are going back to the scriptures, that we're spending that time with God. Um, the, second, the second one of these is self-doubt. And what self-doubt does is self-doubt keeps us from stepping up. Self-doubt causes us to take ourselves out of the equation. And when the opportunity comes, we don't step into it because we're too afraid. It keeps us from saying, you know, I'm going to take that opportunity and go out for passion play. Because we say, well, I, I can't really act. There has to be somebody who's a better actor than me. It keeps us from taking on that project at work because we say, oh, I've never done that before. There has to be someone here who's done it before. I'm not going to try that new that new activity or I'm not going to go to the gym because what's everyone else going to think? When, when I looked in, um, when I looked at the life of Timothy, Timothy was one of the spiritual sons of the Apostle Paul. Um, Timothy dealt with a fear issue. Um, and one of the encouragements that, that Paul um, said to Timothy was, Let no one look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. It's not just what, what you do that matters. It's, it's how you do it. Character matters. As we see there, Paul highlights the importance of how, how he does it. There's characteristics of living in faith and in purity. This may not have been, been easy for Timothy. Um, we know that Timothy, Timothy dealt with fear issues. Timothy was called to go into ministry. Paul used him um, in church plants, sent him places to minister, but we know that Timothy dealt with fear. Um, in 1 Corinthians 16, 10 through 11, Paul writes to the Corinthian church before Timothy gets there. You know, he's looking out for his spiritual son. And what it says is, and if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Timothy dealt with fear. But Paul knew what God had called Timothy to, and not just what he had called him to, but what he had put inside Timothy. 
Because, you see, God's not going to call you to something that he's not going to equip you for. That's where God's grace comes in. And in 2 Corinthians 2.9 it says, For he answered me, My grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I celebrate my weaknesses, for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. If God calls you to something, he will provide the grace for you to accomplish it. Or you could say it this way. He's going to provide the ability for you to do what you couldn't do a moment before. Because God is the God of the breakthrough. You know, sometimes the, the word breakthrough has, has kind of become a, a buzzword. And it's like, oh, you, you've had success. And, you know, breakthrough, breakthrough means that. You know, you have success. You have, you have um, you advance an area that you've struggled in before. Um, but I want to bring your attention to the fact that it's actually one of the names of God. Um, Baal Perizim, the God who bursts forth or the God who breaks through. Because you see, it's not just something God does. You know, we as people, we have moments of breakthrough where, you know, we might struggle with something and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, we work and work and then we break through. Well, with God, it's who he is. He's the God who breaks through. There's nothing too hard for our God to accomplish. There's no area in your life that's too difficult. Nothing in your life that is too ugly or something that's just too bad that God can't just come in and just break out and break through it and just say, you know what? I'm your dad. And we're going to get through this together. I'm going to open the door, I'm going to break forth, and I'm going to be the light in the darkness for you. Follow me out of here. I have the best for you, and it's ahead, and it's in me. Even when we look back to the book of Genesis, and we see that in the beginning, the earth was dark and void. Like, there, there's nothing. It was just darkness. And then it says that God spoke and there was light. God's word became the very light that broke through the darkness. And in that same way, he wants to just burst forth in your life. He wants to be there for you, to co-labor with you as you dream and as you pursue the dreams that he's placed in your heart. He wants to be that difference maker in your life for you. Because we can't do it on our own. We are completely dependent on God to just go forth and do it. And we get to be a part of it. We get to be the hands and feet of Christ. But he has placed the gifts, the callings within us, and it is His grace that enables us to do the work that He has called us to. The next one of the distractions that I want to talk about um, is shame. Shame goes back to the garden. Shame says what we are not. And not only does it tell us what it's not, but it prevents us from hearing who God tells us who we are because when we start to feel shame we pull ourselves away from God and we hide just like Adam and Eve in the garden when they disobeyed God they felt shame so they saw that they were naked and they hid themselves maybe you can relate um, as a kid I, I can think of times of doing something I, I shouldn't have done um, maybe I drew on a wall or I took one of my siblings toys and I hit it or something of that nature. And then um, when I was caught or I knew I was going to get caught, um, I, I went and hide 
because, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be in trouble. I wouldn't want to disappoint my parents. So I, I feel shame. So I hide. I try to remove myself from it. Um, likewise, today, you know, people feel shame and they hide because they don't want to be judged and rejected by the people around them. Shame causes us to remove ourselves from the presence of God. Don't get me wrong, God's always there and God's fully present. But we can choose to stop listening to God and we can start listening to other voices, voices that start telling us um, because we've done something wrong, there's something wrong with us, which is completely contrary to what God says. We may do something wrong and the Holy Spirit comes along and convicts us, but he's not saying, hey, you messed up, so there's something wrong with you. No, he says, hey, I love you. You're too awesome to be acting that way. That doesn't align with your character as a son or daughter of the king. Step up higher. Let me walk with you. Let me show you how much I love you. And this is how we walk as royalty. Because that's who we are. We are sons and daughters of the king. Therefore, we are prince, princes and princesses to King Jesus. That, that's just who we are. Remember, we are the light of the world. We are called to extend the kingdom. We are told to go and make disciples. We are told to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. We are told that we are on offense. We are told that he is with us. We are told that the spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives within us. You are loved. You are chosen. You are his favorite. Because it says in the scriptures that we are his beloved. And beloved can mean favorite. So we are all, all of us, the favorite of God. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me. That's how much he loves all of us. So we have to keep that in mind and know that the word of God will not return to him void. So the promises that he's given us, the what he has spoken about us, who he says that we are, our identity is all true. And that's why it is so important to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. We read the word and the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. He breaks open the word to us and unveils who we are. We know how the story ends. We know that Christ is victorious. And we are believers and followers of Christ. So therefore, we are victorious. We have the vision of victory. We aren't called to be passive or unpresent. So we can't allow moments when, when we may feel shame to become a distraction where we choose to be passive and unpresent. No, we have to choose to be presently offensive. Yes, you might be listening to this. You might be thinking, he just said, be presently offensive? This gives me the excuse to go outside and offend my neighbors. No, that is not at all what I'm saying to do. I thought about that as I, as I was writing it. I'm like, presently offensive. I'm like, Lord, what, what does that mean? Like, what, what does it mean to be presently offensive? And I really feel like, like I was like, leave it. Because it's not the fact that we go out looking to offend people. Because we know that the scriptures tell us we don't war against flesh and blood, but spirits and principalities. But 
when we choose to align ourselves with Christ, when we choose to live a life led by the Spirit, when we choose to be kingdom men and kingdom women, the choices that we make are going to be offensive in the Spirit. Because the darkness, in the, in the realms of darkness, aren't going to be happy about it. They, they're not going to want you living in victory. They're not going to want you going out and preaching the truth and setting people free and praying for people and seeing people healed. No, they, they're going to resist it. It's like Tony Evans says in the Kingdom Man book that we're reading in the guy's small group. And I know that um, the women, they're, they're reading Kingdom Woman. And I can't speak for, for, the, um, for the girls' book, but for the guys, our, our book, it, it's been awesome. But Tony Evans has a line in there. And he says, When you wake up and your feet hit the floor, does the devil say, Oh crap, he's up. To me, that's what it means to be presently offensive. Fully in the moment, fully aligned with God, fully engaged in extending the kingdom in every area of our lives, whether that's at work, at school, with our family, walking down the street to be kingdom-minded in everything that we do. That to me is, is being presently offensive. So a big part of this is, is, is showing up. Um, the comedian Woody Allen, um, he says 80% of success is showing up. There's another quote. Um, I'm, I'm not sure who the author was, but it says, Courage starts with showing up and letting ourselves be seen. You know, sometimes that, that's, a, that's a scary thought. And that's why it takes courage to be fully present. Because... Sometimes we do care about what people think. And sometimes we don't want, we worry about being fully seen and being fully authentic. However, you know, we all know that we shouldn't worry about necessarily what other people think because it becomes that distraction. But God calls us to be courageous. And Joshua, he, he encourages Joshua to be strong and courageous. And, you know, likewise, you know, that's the attitude we need to take. And don't get me wrong, I understand that it's not always, or it's always easier to say something than, than to actually do it. But that's part of the grace that I spoke about earlier, is that God will enable us to live a, to live a kingdom life. And he will encourage us to go forth courageously following after Jesus to go along with that, I'm, I'm going to share a little bit of a personal story. Um, over the last few weeks, I'm not going to lie, and this is, you know, it's easier sometimes to say it than, than it is to do it. Um, I was struggling with some stuff in my career. And it was just with getting to a point that I was starting to get a negative mindset around a lot of things with my job. Um, just some different personality conflicts. Um, just some frustrating tasks and things, things at, at the office. And... Some of it was just starting to, to feel really crazy to me. And I, I was speaking to my wife and just talking about it. And I was getting really negative. And it got to the point where, you know, I started feeling like God, you know, the Holy Spirit was convicting me over the amount of negativity that I was speaking and the death that I was speaking. And it was starting to become toxic. 
So I, I was praying about it. And I, I got to the point where I was like, Lord, I, I really need need you to do something in me or in in the, this place because it's it's getting really difficult. And the next morning as I was walking in, I felt as if God started laying specific scriptures on my heart. And I just began to, began to declare life over myself, my employment, over my boss, over people that, you know, that there was different conflicts with. And, you know, over as I was able then to, you know, give some testimony to some of the people in my life that, that I was speaking with about it, you know, just my inner circle, um, I was able to go back and give testimony about how things had started to shift. Um, but I, I was challenged, you know, the Holy Spirit challenged me and I felt like, um, a little while later, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and, and said, would the world weep if you weren't here? And I had to think about that long and hard. Would the people at my job weep if I left? In our family, in our churches, you know, would people weep or, or, or rejoice if we left? I mean, it's a really real question to, to think about and ask. Because we are called to be the light of the world. We are called to be the thermostat and not the thermometer. We are called to set the atmosphere wherever we go. But this all led me into a study in, in the Genesis and there's two scriptures that, that really stood out to me and they tied together. Um, it was Genesis 50 verse 3 and Genesis 50 verse 10. And if you're familiar with the story of Joseph, you know that Joseph, his brothers um, betray him. They sell him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. Eventually, Joseph saves Egypt. Um, God uses Joseph to save Egypt from a famine. So the Egyptians loved Joseph. Like they really loved Joseph. Um, but the unique thing is, is Egypt is usually symbolic of the world. And when Joseph's father dies, um, the Hebrew community, they usually acknowledge seven days of mourning. That was the traditional period of mourning was seven days. Um, so it speaks about in Genesis 50.10, Joseph mourned for his father for seven days. However, it says in Genesis 50 verse 3 that the Egyptians mourned for 70 days. That's how much they loved Joseph. That's how much they honored him. That when his father passed and they knew that he was mourning and he was hurting, they mourned with him. And it really brought me to the place of, you know, just not placing judge, judgment or condemnation on anyone else, but just looking at myself introspectively and saying, you know, do we love people like that? Whether, whether they're in the church or not in the church, do we love the people who are, you know, quote unquote, in the world like that? And do they love us like that? Because it went even further. When Joseph went to Pharaoh and asked for permission to leave Egypt to go back and bury his father, Pharaoh didn't just give Joseph permission to go. 
No, he did one better. The Egyptians went with Joseph. They loved him and they valued him that much in what he had done for them and the difference that he had made in their lives that they mourned with him and went with him back when he buried his father. So obviously, you know, from this personal story, I'm not where I want to be in this area. But I'm in process and I'm growing. And as I'm sure a lot of you can relate um, in different areas of your lives, you know, you're growing um, and you're seeing that process as God continues to work all things out um, in us. But where I, where I want to be, as I was thinking about it, you know, I, I want to be someone who does both small things and great things. But most importantly, I want to be someone who does small things and great things with great love. A spirit of excellence and someone who establishes a culture of honor wherever I go, whether it's in my workplace, relationships, at home, every area of my life. Because you see, the circumstances that, that surround us, the circumstances that I come in contact to, they don't get to dictate how I react. I choose how I react. They don't get to, to decide whether or not I, I, am honor, I am honoring or that I am honorable. I get to choose honor. We get to choose honor. And when we choose honor and when we choose to represent Jesus well, we show the world Jesus in areas where they're not used to seeing People respond kindly, let alone like Jesus would. So I want to I want to take a look at um, two biblical accounts that just deal with distraction. Um, and the first one is going to be the life of Samson. Um, Samson is usually most normally known for being really strong, and we see that throughout. Judges 13 through 16, when the scriptures record the life of Samson, um, that when the Spirit would come upon him, he would have these amazing feats of strength. And we know that he was a Nazarite from birth, which means that he was set apart to God. But there were certain things that, that he was called not to do as a Nazarite. And one of those things was he was not to have a razor come upon his head. So he wasn't supposed to cut his hair. And that was an outward, an outward symbol of his inward commitment and sanctification to God. So we saw we see in Samson's life when um, in 14.5, it says the spirit came upon Samson and he tore the line apart with his bare hands. I can really relate to that because last week I opened up a box of Barnum animal crackers. I tore that line up, like ripped it apart. And I was like, wow, this is exactly how Samson must have felt. If you have never had the opportunity to tear the, the lion apart, and when I talk about the lion that I tore apart, it's an animal cracker, just to be clear. But the Spirit of God came upon Samson for great work. Samson had a call of God. God called him and gave the prophetic word for his life before he was born. However, Samson had the power of God that would rest upon him and allow the, or sorry, the spirit of God that would come and 
come upon him and he'd have these great moments of strength that was supposed to allow him to be the judge and leader of Israel that would deliver them from the Philistine rule. However, Samson got distracted. On more than one occasion, we see how Samson's emotions rule him, how his temper would, would rule him. And another area that was his ultimate distraction and downfall was his love for foreign women. The first wife that he takes is a Philistine woman. However, the scriptures record that he chose a Philistine woman as a wife because God was looking for a reason for there to be an issue with the Philistines. That became the reason for the fight to be picked between Samson and the Philistines. However, after his wife passes, Samson then chooses to go spend the night at a harlot's home. If you don't know what a harlot is, it's a prostitute. And then further down the line, we see Samson falls in love with Delilah, who is another Philistine woman. However, Delilah is bought with a price. Not that Samson bought her, but that she was able to be manipulated by the Philistine rulers for money. They bribed her to get Samson to tell them, or tell her so she could tell them, how Samson could be defeated, what the secret was of his great strength. And she is able to manipulate him into getting him to share the secret that if his hair was cut, he would not have any power. And eventually, at that time, she shares the secret. Samson's hair is cut. He becomes powerless. They capture him. They put out his eyes. Um, Samson has one act of strength at the end where he takes down the temple of Dagon, the, the, god, of, the god of the Philistines, and he ends up you know, killing the Philistine rulers. However, his life could have been different. He could have led stronger. You know, maybe this is more so just my looking at the scriptures and seeing that without those distractions, if he hadn't fallen into those distractions, imagine what he could have accomplished for the nation of Israel. The next example that I, that I want to talk about is Luke 10, verses 41 to 42. And this is the story of Mary and Martha, the two sisters, um, who invite Jesus into their home. And I'm going to read that, read that scripture. Yeah, scripture. Scripture, sorry, to you from the Passion Translation. And it says, The Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled? pulled away by all these many distractions. Are they really that important? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted and I won't take this privilege from her. The, the one thing, that, that phrase really sticks out to me here in this passage. And if you're or anything like me, I can't remember the last time that I woke up and only had one thing that needed my attention that day. 
Um, the truth is, is we all wake up every day with many things that want to fill our minds, schedules, and priorities. Like Martha, we can get so caught up in the doing that we misprioritize the most important thing that's needed. And that's to choose to rest in the presence of Jesus, knowing that we are already loved, chosen, and celebrated by the Father through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing. Um, that's something that God reminded me of. Um, back in October, I was taking my daughter to practice and I had some stuff on my mind and I felt like the Holy Spirit, clear as day, spoken like in, in my mental in my mental mind or however you want to think that, about that in my mind's eye, you know, you are worried and troubled over many things. And he was absolutely right. I don't know why I was surprised. He's God. But it was like the Lord had stepped right into the mess of my thoughts that day. Just as an earthly father would pull up a seat next to their child to, to acknowledge that something was bothering them. And it was like God invited me into such a moment. Because I'm, I'm huge on encouragement. I'm huge on God saying, you know what? You're loved. You're chosen. And making me feel really good and happy. But, you know, God loves us enough to not just encourage us, but to correct us. To call us up higher. To call us into those growth moments. When I was able to truly say, you know what, you're absolutely right, God. My, my thought process right now in this moment is messy. And I need to get my mind fixed back on you. I need to fix my mind back on your word. To see who you say I am. See what you say about my life and the things that are going on. I needed to fix my perspective on God and get heaven's perspective of my situation. But in that moment, you know, dealing with that, the, the word ministered to me. Um, nothing on my mind that day was so important in the context of eternity that it was worth my peace. Um, you know, I was reminded of Isaiah 26.3, the Lord will keep those in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. You know, we see this practically displayed in this moment between two sisters in the Lord, captured in the pages of the Gospel of Luke. Mary discovered the most important thing, and that's to sit at the feet of Jesus and enjoy the presence of the Lord. She was undistracted, having prioritized everything in that moment to pale in comparison to the privilege of sitting in the presence of Jesus. What an amazing privilege and opportunity it is to sit in the presence of Jesus. It's amazing and beautiful that the almighty God of the universe is also a loving and gracious father that is never too busy to step into our lives, to lovingly correct and encourage us to seek the one thing that is most important. You know, we are all so loved by him. And that's something that we, we need to keep in perspective. And as everything comes at us, as, as, as we go through the day and we try to accomplish the things that we need to accomplish or the things that we feel like we need to get done and accomplish, there's the one thing. And that one thing is the presence of God. It's choosing to create that time that we spend with Jesus. So I've, I've had an awesome time sharing with you guys about distractions. Um, and, you know, let's not get distracted in this year to keep our focus on what God has called us to. Um, and, and we've had some amazing teaching by Sheena over the last few weeks 
as she's taught on vision. But I just kind of wanted to round it out, just wanted to kind of sum it up with just a couple practical steps. Um, just pulling some stuff from the last couple of weeks, you know, today, um, just to help us not get distracted this year. And so the first one is going to be prioritize the presence. Spend time with the Lord. Spend time with the Lord so that we know what he's speaking in this season of our lives. He knows the dreams in your heart. He knows the dreams that he's placed in your heart. And he longs to lead you and prepare you for all that he wants to do in you and through you throughout your life. However, we have to always remember that life is a process and it's a journey. Your destiny is not just the destination, but it's every point in between. It's the entire journey. And God loves to just spend time with his kids, spend time with us in our daily lives as, as we walk out this journey, this great adventure that he's called us to with him. The next one, um, journal. This is an area where um, daily journaling, I personally need to grow in. However, it's an area that I have grown in, specifically um, writing down what I believe God is speaking to me and dating it, and then going and taking what I believe God's speaking and searching, searching the word for it and finding verses um, from the scriptures that confirm what I'm hearing. Because what, what we have to recognize is that God will never violate his word. So when we hear what he's speaking in our lives, um, we take it, we find the truth to the truth of the word to establish that. And, it, it, you know, if you're still unsure, you find someone in your life who's um, that spiritual mother, father, that mentor, um, counselor person for you in your life to just talk about, you know, this is why I believe God's speaking. And you can discern that together. But that that is basically the, the best way that I've found to really grow in hearing God. Because when I read the word and spend time in his presence and I believe that I hear what God is speaking over me and he's speaking to me, writing it down, putting a date on it, going to the scriptures, confirming it, validating it, and then looking back over that once I get a couple weeks out, a month out, whatever it is, and I confirm that, oh, that's, I'm seeing come to pass what God spoke before. It builds faith that not only is God speaking, but I can hear the voice of God. And God is a loving Father. We should fully expect Him to be speaking to us. And that's just an amazing part of the journey. And it's something that, um, it just builds faith. And just wanted to share that that bit of encouragement with you. Um, the next one is um, a daily declaration. Um, out in so Sunday services, Pastor Tom's been speaking about life and death are in the power of the tongue, the power of words. And um, Bill Johnson also says, uh, one of the Bethel pastors out in Redding, California, he says, words create worlds. And so one of the daily declarations that, that you could put, obviously you can choose any, any of them. There's a ton of resources out there um, books on declarations, um, but it can be something, something simple like this. Um, I am a world changer, loved, chosen, anointed, and empowered by the Lord Jesus Christ to, and then fill in the blank, for the sake of others. 
So maybe it's, I'm a world changer, loved, chosen, anointed, and empowered by the Lord Jesus Christ to write for the sake of others or to sing, worship, um, manage, maybe you're a mechanic to, you know, service vehicles. Um, or if you're a salesman to go into the sales force or marketing or whatever that is for you, you know, the kingdom of God isn't limited to the four walls of the church, but it's meant to be taken out of the context of the church to impact the world around us so that we are the light to this world. For the sake of others. Um, sorry, I wish I, I, I should have tied that in there. I'm a world changer, love, chosen, anointed, empowered by the Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of others. And the last one. Um, place something in front of you daily as, as a reminder. You know, part of that vision, place something in front of you, something physical that you look at every day that just serves as that reminder that just encourages you to keep going. Um, last week, Sheena's example was a dress. You know, that dress was in front of her constantly and it was part of a vision that, that she had for an area of her life. Um, for me, I recently went on a trip this past year and we went to a coffee house in Washington, D.C. That's something personal to me that I believe aligns with the vision that God has given me for my life. And so that's something that I have out on my dresser, something that I see every day, at least once, if not multiple times. That just, and when I see it, you know, there's, there's nothing overly special about this cup, but it's the fact of the, of the value of the vision and the fact that when I look at it, I'm reminded of the vision that I believe I have for my life. So I, I encourage you to, you know, adopt some of those steps, um, whatever's applicable to your life. But this year, I just want to encourage you to go after what, go after your vision. Don't shelf it. Don't, don't put it away and, and, and wait for, you know, don't, don't, don't wait for the, for the title to do something. Um, start the process. But I really enjoyed sharing with you guys today. Um, I, I, I pray that you got something out of the message that you are encouraged and blessed. And I'm just going to um, just close this out with a moment of prayer. And I'm excited to seeing you all soon. Um, a couple of reminders coming up next week. We have family dinner on Wednesday night. Um, we're going to have pizza and nachos. And it's going to be a good time. So I hope to see you there. Also, the escape room in Greensburg on February 7th, Friday night. And I think that's all of all of the announcements. So, Father God, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Father, God, that you are a present God at all times, that you are a loving Father, God, and that you are willing and able to do more than we can ever ask, think, or imagine. Father, we thank you that you have placed dreams inside us, Father, and that you invite us to dream with you, Lord. So, Father, we ask you to help us to keep the vision this year, 2020 and beyond, Father. As we just endeavor to follow after you, Father, and to just 
glorify you, Lord, in all, in all that we do. So, Father God, we thank you. We love you. We honor you. We, you, we honor you and we praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen.